For me, I've never really looked at our remote team members as different than our stateside team members. And I think that's really important because it's really more about team building. It's not about really where you live. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Wella, and today I have Stacy Salyer with me. Stacy, mm-hmm. thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So, Stacy, I'm excited to hear a little bit about your background and kind of the story arc of your dealings in property management, but let's go all the way back to the beginning. You all are from the, the Pacific Northwest, correct? I am from Pacific. Pacific Northwest, yes. And how did you get your start in property management? Well, probably like most people, it was not like my dream. I never, you know, I didn't actually even know what property management was. So I was working in retail management. I was working for The Gap in downtown Seattle. Uh, Store manager, great, great job. Um, I had a 10-month-old baby at the time and got a call from a distant family member. Said, hey, I'm looking for a property manager you know, you should come talk to me. And I said, I don't, I don't even know what property manager is. And he was like, oh, it's, it's easy. You know, I think you'd really like it because, you know, in, in uh, retail, you know, you're crazy hours, right? From like October through January, you know, I just had a kid. So uh, he's like, oh, come talk to me. And so I did. And I went from 100% corporate, you know, salary, great benefits, all the things to 100% commission, jumped in and here I am. That was 19 years ago, actually, in October. And what was the allure? What was the draw? You know, initially, I think it was um, definitely the real estate. You know, my grandparents actually had acquired quite a few rental investments over their years in uh, uh, the Bay Area in California. So one, I'd actually always been interested in real estate. And then two, the initial schedule. Um, So, you know, again, in retail management, you could be working... 3 p.m. to midnight, and then turn around and work 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, when you're working in a high-profile store, you have a lot of you know, corporate visits, and um, you know holiday hours can be really intense. Whereas you know the allure to property management was more, hey, you know you you'll have kind of more of a normal schedule. And I would say that overall, that's probably been proven to be correct. So in terms of where the business was at prior to your joining Pure, because that's happened as of late, but in uh-huh. terms of where the business was at at that point, how many how many units, staff, et cetera, what were the characteristics of the business? Oh, for Leading Edge? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had actually acquired another company in June 2020, so right at the kind of beginning of our shutdown during covid uh, so I had been at, at that time, I think a little over 500 doors. Um, then about a year later, I sold a few of those doors that didn't fit our por- portfolio. Uh, so when, basically when I joined Pure, I was about 330, you know, after some different attrition and, and selling some doors. And you have a brokerage component as well? I do. Yep. A full real estate sales division. And tell me about that, because yeah. you got into that after property management, correct? I did. So in 2016, that's when I opened up. My official company name was Leading Edge Property Management and Real Estate. So I added the and real estate at the very last minute and uh, knew that I always kind of wanted to have that real estate arm. Um, so, you know, because really the two go hand in hand. 
Um, but it was just kind of a like afterthought. It was kind of like my redheaded stepchild because, you know, in property management, that's kind of always been the joke that we're the redheaded stepchild. Uh, and then in 2019, I said, yeah, the beginning of that year, I got a little bit more serious about, hey, I want to build this up. Um, but how do I do that without recreating the wheel? So, um, because as you know, I mean, it takes a lot of work to get a company up and running. You know, you've got your processes, your systems, your marketing, your website, and all that kind of good stuff. So I started looking into franchises and did a lot of searching. And actually, Weicker Realtors sought me out. So I had a few meetings with them, flew back to New Jersey, you know, met with their team, you know, did the tour, um, talked to them further. And, you know, their core values just really aligned with mine. I, I like that they were still family-owned, um, not... Um, corporate. Yeah, corporate. And um, took the leap and bought into Weicker at the end of 2019. So I really then kind of hit the ground running, starting to build that that side of the business as well. And what did building that side of the business look like? To what degree was that independent versus backdrafting off of property management? Yeah. So the nice thing with you know buying into a franchise is that it's a nice, neat package. And there's a lot of you know proven materials that work for you. Uh, it makes recruiting a lot easier. It's really hard to recruit agents when you really don't have anything to offer them, um, especially new agents. So I would say with Weikert, uh, another thing that really attracted me was the agent training because um, I can take a brand new agent. I mean, if you're willing to work, you know, I can get you in. You can go through our fast track training and you can be producing in no time flat if you're willing to put in the work. I mean, it's just like anything. Um, but that in itself and then, you know, even if you're a seasoned agent, we have some great training. Um, we have amazing tools and it's just all right there for you. And I didn't have to go and create all that. I mean, because that could take years to do, you know, create that marketing and all the training. So it's been really good. And what are your feelings about the vibe difference between real estate versus property management? Um, well, I mean, certainly the last couple of years, sales has been way more joyous than property management, especially in Washington State. Um, but, you know, it's it's interesting you know, I think, what are the percentages? Like 95% of sellers use a realtor or real estate agent versus in property management, it's like 30% or professionally managed, something like that. So it, it is kind of interesting to me that, you know, that that big difference. Um, it's it's still, I don't know. I mean, that I think property management is just such more of a service business. I mean, I know it is part of real estate, but really... I think in order to do them correctly, they should be run separately. I really actually believe, even in Washington State, that we should have a separate property management license um, versus just having a real estate license. In terms of like the day-to-day -day feeling, though, temperament, the people you're recruiting mm -hmm. into the business, obviously there's a whole bag of cliches around the temperament of being a real estate agent versus mm -hmm. being a property manager. In your experience, how much overlap is there and how much, um, how sufficiently distinct are they? Mm, I would say that they're actually pretty different. So I think in order to be a successful property manager, um, you know, you, you don't, you know, again, depending on how your firm is set up, um, if you have a business development manager or somebody that's going out and hunting, you know, let them do that. And your property manager should really be that investment type manager versus on the real estate sales side, you know, you really need to be more of the hunter and the, you know, the salesperson. 
So, but I don't know. I mean, for, for me, I've set it up on both sides that we really come from a place of care and that we're, it's not like on either side, we don't look at people as transactions. We look at people as people. So whether you're a resident or you're a seller or a buyer, you know, really coming from a place of care overall will really, I think, attract the agents that you want and the property managers you want and the clients and the residents. What are some practical examples that come to mind? Um, you know, well, I guess just really caring. I mean, you know, like on the, on our Weikert side, we usually do two different events throughout the year, um, where we actually will collect, you know, we'll do like a fundraising event. So we've done some for like Skagit Friendship House, where we'll collect items that, you know, our local, um, unhoused community may need. Um, we also have a, a dog rescue that we collect items for, um, you know, just really caring about our clients, um, and caring about their needs. I know last uh, winter we had significant flooding in the area and our sales brokers that we have um, actually called and like reached out to all their clients and friends and checking in on them like, hey, you know, are you okay? Is your house in a flood zone? Like, you know, can I bring you anything if you need anything? So just really kind of going that extra step, actually like caring. So those are the kind of agents I'm attracting. I may not have a ton of agents, but I want agents that actually care about their community, care about their clients, and just do a good job. What shifted the most over that 19-year arc of your business? What shifted the most? Um, you mean in terms of like myself? Or just, oh, really just in terms of like yeah. how the business is run, day-to-day -day operations? Oh, yeah, that's actually, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I would say for me, so I grew up, and I say grow up because I started in property management. What was I, 28, 29 years old? And um, I grew up in portfolio management. So I was 100% commission. That's kind of how I, I learned. So when I opened Leading Edge, I opened kind of the same way because I was like, well, that worked. Um, but I quickly learned it was very hard to scale and get your property managers to do everything correctly in the same way and get your processes and systems in order if you have – you know, this PM managing, you know, this size portfolio and doing things that way and, um, and you know, just kind of messy. So I did actually shift leading edge to where we were um, more kind of a hybrid, like a departmental um, pod structure. And that, that was a big shift. Do you work with any remote team members? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have five. And what roles? Um, so we have maintenance coordinator. We have customer care. She's part-time. She actually works on the weekends, so we never stop. Um, we have um, leasing, our leasing department, and she oversees all of our new applications and all of our new leases and all of our renewals. Um, then we have, I actually created this position about a year ago, again, being in Washington State, notice and compliance. Um, and she oversees all of our notices. She's been instrumental in helping track down rent money. Um, you know, all the government funds. And then she also backs up uh, in our leasing because our, our summer times are really busy. And then um, one of our assistant property managers is also remote. As you went through that transition of bringing on those remote team members, what did it look like for you to really fully embed them in the organization as opposed to them feeling distant, out of sight, out of mind? Oh, yeah. No, sure. Actually, when I opened Leading Edge, I actually opened it so that we could run remotely. So that was a little bit different because it was 2016. And that wasn't like a sexy thing yet, you know, having the remote team members. I originally opened it that way because I wanted to grow it so that I 
could live remotely and work remotely. Um, and my first hire was actually a remote team member. Um, I used Anaquim at the time mm. and uh, brought on you know customer care. Uh, so for me, I've never really looked at our remote team members as different than our stateside team members. And I think that's really important because it's really more about team building. It's not about really where you live. It's really important that you view, view everybody as a human being and not a VA. Uh, mm. Actually, if you hear me speak on panels about that, I tell people that I find that a very offensive term because you're not a virtual assistant, you're a human being. And um, so I think it's really important that when you're creating a team that you just really look at the positions and then fill it with the most talented people. I mean, we have our team members are all, all over the world. And you know, if you look at it that way, you can source talent anywhere people live and you can fill certain positions that, that way pretty easy. What are you passionate about in business? Um, I think people for sure, you know, relationships are really important. Um, again, probably goes back to that care. Um, you know, I want to do business with people that I enjoy spending time with, you know, I think we all probably work a lot. And, you know, if you really think about it, I probably spend more time at my office than I do at my home. So I think it's really important that you surround yourself with others who, you know, maybe have the same alignment or goals that you do. Um, I think, you know, team building, I think is super fun to me. Um, because I, I just believe that with the right people, you can really do anything. What's your approach to recruiting been? Um, for real estate sales? For any, any team member in any role? Yeah. Um, you know, that's a good question. I think just again, the relationships getting out in the community. Um, I think it's important to be involved in the community, like where you live. Um, so I, you know, I'm not a cold caller. I've actually never done cold calls ever in my career. Fizbos, et cetera. Yeah. No, just, it's not for me. I mean, it, and I know a lot of people have been successful for that. I'm more of a relationship based person. Um, you know, I'm in our local rotary club. I'm actually president of our rotary, rotary club this year. I sit on several different boards. Um, so I think just a relationship building is probably, I know very little about the Rotary Club. I've heard okay. uh, I've heard enough about it to be curious, but I don't know much. And for those that like me don't know, what's the four one one on Rotary and why people join? Yes. So Rotary. Um, so my story, Rotary. I had actually um, filed for divorce and moved back to my community. I had when I was nineteen. You know, I moved out. Didn't want to live where I grew up. Right. So uh, you know, moved back with my three kids and. I was like, you know, how do I get back into my community? You know, it had been quite a few years since I had lived there and get to know other people, other business owners. Um, so I joined Rotary. So Rotary is a service-based club. Um, and it's basically service above self. And it's a great way to meet other community members, um, whether it's business, there's retired people, and just really get involved. You know, my Rotary club, we really focus on um, – kids and education. We do a large fundraiser once a year and we raise money for local scholarships um, for our local high school students. We also do a lot of different um, fundraise, you know, we give to a lot of different organizations within our community. We do um, these really big dictionary books for third graders in all the schools in our school district. And um, then we also, you know, do some different projects like beyond, like in Honduras and 
and that kind of thing. But the cool thing about being a Rotarian is that Rotary is all over the world. I mean, it's international. And there's actually a lot of property managers that are also Rotarians. So there's a, it's just kind of a special connection um, because usually if you're a Rotarian, you really do um, care. Again, it kind of goes back to that, that theme, you know, about your community and giving back. And, you know, initially when I joined, you know, I was getting divorced, didn't have, you know, I mean, I made money, but I also had three kids. So I didn't have a lot of like money to give, but I had some time. So I had more time to give and I, you know, kind of threw myself into fundraising, you know, got to know other people. And, you know, over the years now I have a little bit more money to give. And so I think it's, it's just really important again to really build up where you live. I love that, that connection to mm -hmm. the community. Do you feel like that's had a, an intersection that's also been relevant to what you've done as a, on the property management side of things? Let me reframe the question. Sure. How do you think about property management and the, the connection to the community? What is the role that you play in your local community? Sure. Well, I think first and foremost, I mean, we provide one of the most important things that everybody needs, which is a home to live in. And, you know, there's, everybody needs a place to live. And I think it's really important that we don't lose sight of that. I think, you know, sometimes in property management, and maybe even the last couple of years, you know, there's kind of that adversarial type, that feeling, um, like, oh, you know, tenants, and they do this and that. But really, everybody is a human being. And when you really step back and you think, gosh, you know, we, we just need to provide housing and we should be providing great housing for people. And um, I think that's, you know, it's really important that we just don't lose sight of like what we're really doing. What does peak stress look like for you in the business over that 19 years? What are some moments that were just like some, some of the worst days for you? Um, that's a good question. I suppose, well, I mean, probably buying another business. Um, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say that was stressful in a negative way, but it was definitely a big undertaking. Uh, you know, I was running a very well-run business, very, you know, A, B properties um, that, you know, we ran remote, you know, paperless, that I bought a portfolio that ran completely opposite. It was a little bit more stressful, I think, than I anticipated, but it's always good to go through because I feel like you learn something no matter what. Um, you know, I, I suppose, you know, COVID was stressful. Honestly, I think 2020 really wasn't a horrible year. Um, again, we were already set up to run remote, so that was not a big deal for us. Um, I think 21 was probably a more stressful year than 20. I feel like in 20, 2020, people were nicer um, and more understanding. And then by the time we got to 21, you know, people had kind of lost that um, aspect. So probably a little bit more stressful in that year, but nothing in partic particular that I can think of. What's the worst owner disagreement you ever had? Oh goodness. Um, that's a good question. I'm trying to think. I, you know, I haven't really had anything too, too crazy. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> no, that's probably going to happen. Thanks a lot, Jordan. Yeah. Not my fault. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back credit. to the office on Friday and they're going to be like, so guess what? <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Well, the other side of it then, because maybe that's, it's less uh, adversarial there. Ten tenants. You can't be in this business for 19 years and not have any heated tenant disputes. Anything stand sure. out in your mind there? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, you always have 
there's always something. I mean, you know, I think when you're dealing with people, you're dealing with people. So you're always dealing with different personalities. And I do think in the last couple of years, the landscape of landlord uh, has become a lot, uh, I'm not sure I mean the word. Um, it's a lot contentious. more contentious. Yes, contentious. Thank you. That's a great word. Um, and, and especially in our area, you know, we, you know, I'll, I'll drive through like Bellingham, Washington, and they have, you know, there's large signs that, you know, call out how horrible landlords are and that kind of thing. So, um, gosh, I mean, I've had, yeah, I've had crazy things happen over the years. I mean, yeah, it's just the normal, like small claim suits and all that. I mean, I, I've always kind of been more of one of like, hey, let's see how we can work things out. Uh, you know, nobody wins when you go to court, honestly. I mean, in Washington State, it's more about small claims court. So there's no attorney fees. But if it went to an attorney route, you know, it's usually that saying the only one that really wins is the attorney, right? Because they get the money, you know. And I always look at it, you know, what's my time worth? What's my team's time worth? Um, so I'm usually more of a, you know, let's see how we can negotiate. Or I will take it and I'll say, okay, how can we fix this so we can uh, mitigate it on the front end? So like, for example, security deposits. Of course, that's always a huge um, contentious, you know, people are like, oh, that shouldn't have cost that much or I shouldn't have been charged this or that. Um, but years ago, I actually went to a class tele, uh, Kelly Tolfson taught years ago at a uh, NARPM regional. And so now we've been doing security deposit uh, dispute review. So, you know, I'm more about, hey, if we have this challenge, what process can we put into place so that we can figure it out before it becomes a problem next time? So, I mean, you're always going to have something, but I, I like to problem solve and see how we can fix it before it happens again. What are some of the key vendor relationships and innovations that have been sig significant for you in your business over the last couple of years? That's a good question. Yeah. So I think when I opened Leading Edge, I actually opened at an amazing time because it was just as a lot of like technology companies were coming into play. Um, so I would say number one, actually Tenet Turner has been a game changer. And so when I do talk with like brand new PMC business owners, um, I actually should take that back. So Tenet Turner was the first remote team member I hired. I mean, they're not technically a remote team member, but oh. essentially remote assistant. Um, because if you're not using something like that, you're getting inundated with like phone calls and emails. And, you know, nowadays like Zillow has it set up or realtor.com or whatever, like you can just click on a button. Like, I want to see this home. I'm interested in it. So you could get 10 of those from the same person, about 10 different homes. And then as a property manager, you have to wade through all that. So I think any of those like ShowMojo, Tenant Turner, those are a game changer to your business. Super easy to implement. Anybody can use them. Even if you don't do the you know self showings, easy to use. Um, Second nature, actually, I adopted way back when. I actually have one of the elephant blazers, so I should have brought it on this trip. But uh, they've been really cool, just because it's been able to offer some different services to our tent, our residents. Um, again, kind of coming from that place of care. And let's see what else. Um, I'm trying to think. Those are kind of my favorite ones off the top of my head. I mean, yeah. What do you love about the NARPM community? Uh, it's kind of almost like Rotary, sort of, like that kind of that that caring community. 
Uh, I will say there's definitely a big difference between the property management community and the real estate community. Um, so for sure, I mean, the property management, like NARPM, I mean, I've made some amazing relationships and I never would have met some of the people. Uh, I mean, I probably wouldn't even be where I am now, you know, business-wise um, or with Pure if I, you know, hadn't joined NARPM. And I think I've been a member for over 10 years. So, and I've done a lot with NARPM. I would say that's definitely another key piece is to get involved and, you know, throw yourself in there. Um, whereas like on the real estate sales side, it's still very like closed off. You know, there um, is kind of almost the old school way of thinking a little bit. Like doggy dog or? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's also not very common. Um, I'm finding after joining Weikert and just kind of getting more out there that um, it's not very common to have female only owned real estate brokerages. So I, I find that a lot of like couples, like either married couples co-own or a lot, it's still very male dominated industry. Which you're is in the, interesting. Yeah, you're in the minority there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So on the brokerage side, in terms of the opportunity that you saw and that you've seen there, how did you think about the opportunity? It's great to have a multitude of bets. I mean, certainly that's been something that's been attractive to me. At the same time, being able to focus and get clear on the primary horse that you're riding in terms of an opportunity mm -hmm. can have a lot of power to it. You could split your time equally, or you could like kind of suss out that one has mm. more juice than the other and double down. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I would say, so this year has definitely been a personal growth mode. And, you know, honestly, I haven't put as much time into my real estate sales brokerage side because I did join Pure. Um, but it's enabled me to kind of figure out where I want to go for next year. Um, you know, I do need to look at you know, because I'm only one person and one person really can't be effective to run two very large businesses. Um, so I will be looking at, you know, hiring like a managing broker on the Weikert side and then, um, you know, growing it that way or finding somebody who can recruit a little bit better than I can. So I had seen that you had shared recently about your own journey and experience with mm -hmm. domestic violence. And I thought yep. that was amazing that you had wanted to share about mm -hmm. that publicly. Can you tell me a little bit about that story and about why that's meaningful to you to share about that? Oh yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, well, I think <laughs> it's meaningful. So, uh, first of all, I, you know, I think it's really important that, you know, people who are comfortable in sharing their journey, share them, you know, cause I think a lot of times people look at somebody who's deemed successful or, you know, uh, you know, somebody who's, you know, hustled and gotten where they are to just not know like the backstory and not know like, kind of how hard, hard it's been. Um, and also too, I think, you know, in business, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of perception of, um, like I've even seen it online, like, oh, you know, that tenant, they, they filed bankruptcy. So they're, they're a loser, you know, and, and that's not always true. I mean, you know, a lot of times people go through a lot of different things that, um, that maybe they go through, but, you know, they, they work hard to get out of. So definitely, um, I think it's important for me to share my journey um, because I I feel very strongly about how hard I've been able to work and get out of that. Um, you know, definitely, I think there's also a mis misconception on who is in a domestic violence relationship. You know, I I had if I could have a dollar or five dollars for every person that came up to me and said, "But you're such a strong person. I can't believe that you stayed." 
I probably could have paid my attorney fees <laughs> with that money, you know, and, and because people look at you and they think, well, how could that even happen? Um, so one, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation on, you know, how, how that happens. And I shared just a very brief overview, even though it was kind of long on Facebook. I mean, that's a very brief overview, but that gaslighting and everything and, um, you know, just you get beat down your, your, uh, you know, your, your self-esteem and everything. Could you define um, what gaslighting is for somebody that doesn't Oh, know? sure. Yeah. So gaslighting is, you know, if something happens, like you say something to me and then, you know, an hour later, I'm like, oh, hey, Jordan, do you remember when you said that? And you're like, no, I never said that. I never said that. You're crazy. Yeah. So it, it's kind of that. And it happens over and over and over. And after a while, you're like, oh, I guess I'm kind of crazy or I'm losing my mind or, oh, that person's right. I am stupid you know, or, or whatever, all the negative things that are said over and over. Because if you hear negative all the time, I mean, eventually it doesn't matter how strong you are, that's going to break you. Um, so yeah, so for me, I mean, I, um, yeah, so I, it was like a lifetime movie. I got him to leave for a weekend, um, paid for him to go get away with friends and um, had pre-planned. There was less than five people that knew I was planning on moving. Um, you know, I had hired my attorney and um, I just packed up a U-Haul and had a place pre-rented actually through another property management organization up where I live now and uh, was able to get him served with a restraining order with a DV protection, which is an important piece of it. What, what does that mean? Um, so it means that if I he violated it and I called the police officers or the cops, that um, when you have a DB protection order, it's a major violation and they'll arrest you, they'll arrest them on site versus just like a regular restraining order. So um, it's a lot bigger deal when you're, when you have that type of protection order. So, and so you had kids at that point. Oh yeah. We had three kids at that point. Mm -hmm. And it was just an overnight immediate. Yep. Yep. So that, that was definitely really hard. And that, so it took like 18 months to get divorced, a lot of therapy, you know, put my kids in therapy. Um, the interesting thing is, is when you're verbally abused and there's not a lot, and there was some physical, but again, you know, if you don't have evidence and everything in the court's eyes, they don't take away any parental rights. So, you know, that that is not great, but at the same time, you know, I it was my relationship with him. I didn't necessarily want my kids to not see him. Um, so you know that that was very that was a very challenging time. Um, you know, because again, he's filling their minds with horrible negative things, and you know, then I would get them back, and it would just kind of start the cycle over again. Um, but over time, he just basically once we were divorced, he just stopped taking them on his time. Because again, I had left the situation. So when you leave that situation and with that narcissist, you know, abusive narcissist, you know, he didn't get to get rid of the toy in that case. So with that, you know, I made the choice. So he was still going to try and control my life. And how he thought he could control my life was through our kids and time. So, oh, well, now you have to be a full-time mom. So you won't be able to do things you want. You won't be able to go out with your friends. You won't be able to work as hard as you do or, or whatever it is. Um, but of course I did. So yeah, I, uh, you know, it was, it was a hard, it was a hard choice. Um, but 
I mean, it was a hard choice to leave, but it wasn't a hard choice. It's a very dangerous choice. Um, it's very hard in the fact of um, it's very expensive, you know, and I, I was lucky that I worked full time um, and had a great career and supportive people around me and my family to also help pay for the attorney because it's not cheap. Uh, a lot of people don't have that, those resources. Um, but, you know, I got through that and... You know, I think within that, a lot of people don't realize, like, we had a family home and two rentals. It was, you know, horrible real estate time, you know, trying to just get divorced from that type of personality took everything I had, plus, you know, raising the three kids and working that, you know, trying to get him to negotiate to sell the homes or short sale them. I just, I mean, I just had to walk away. So, I mean, I foreclosed on homes. I had to file Chapter 13 bankruptcy. Um, which a lot of people didn't know until I just put that on Facebook. But I think it's important for people to maybe know that because, you know, now when people look at me, they they would see, you know, before that, they would just see like, oh, well, she worked hard, so, you know, she's successful. Um, but, I mean, technically I was one of those losers, right, that like other property management business owners would say like, oh, well, that's a loser. Like I would never rent to somebody like that. Well, really? because <laughs> I don't think I'm a loser. You know, I had to go through that just because it is, you know, it was either stay and probably either come down with an illness from, you know, repeated stress or, or die um, early or, you know, get out and teach my kids, like, break that cycle and, you know, live the life that I want to live. Like, nobody wants to live with somebody who's, like, a horrible human. At least I don't think they do. So, yeah, I had to file bankruptcy. And when I actually opened Leading Edge, I just opened with the cash I had and one woman show and hustled hard and, you know, had three kids. I had one playing travel baseball. I mean, I worked seven days a week. I was, you know, I'd be at a tournament and go in my car and do some emails and, you know, just made it happen. So it can be done. What would you say to somebody that's in an abusive situation and just isn't sure if it's worth getting out of or pressing on or maybe it'll get better or maybe it will change? Um, I would say, actually, I would advise that they meet with somebody um, at a local um, domestic violence organization. I actually sit on a board for, it's called Skagit DV SAS. And, um, you know, our local organizations can really help those people. Um, because sometimes the moment that you want to leave isn't the right time. You know, sometimes you have to gather your resources. And they, they actually are trained to, to help victims at that time. I consider myself a survivor. I don't call myself a victim anymore. But at that, at that time, you are a victim. And those are trained professionals where they can say, hey, you know, let's come up with a safety plan. How, like, how dangerous is it right now? Because every relationship is a little bit different. You know, mine, mine, there was physical, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't to the point where like he was holding a gun to my head or something. But, um, you know, there are cases where it is like that. So those, those organizations can definitely help people and help them actually come up with a plan, get some resources in, in place. Um, and then I would just say like, you know, don't lose hope. And I, you know, like once you're out, then just don't look back. You know, you've got to create boundaries. You cannot continue to engage with that person. You'll never win an argument. And it doesn't matter what they say about you. Just keep moving forward. And that's, you know, that's what I've done is just keep going forward. 
hold your head high, you know, when when you're slandered or you're stalked or whatever it is. I mean, because it will happen when you leave that kind of relationship. Just keep smiling and move forward and just focus on what you want. And then, you know, once you're kind of out of that, you can get a little bit more clear, like, what what do I really want? Like, where do I really want to live? Like, what kind of life do I want to design? And that that's what I would advise. What are you most proud of in your career and what you've been able to build over the last 20 years? Um, I mean, I think, you know, what I've been able to do, I think I'm, I'm really proud that I've been able to pretty much raise my kids on my own. I mean, I have three really cool teenagers. I know people joke about teenagers all the time. Um, mine are really well behaved as of now. I should probably knock on wood again. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm really proud of, of my kids and, you know, what I've been able to accomplish and, you know, show them that no matter what kind of adversity you go through, you know, if, if you want it bad enough, you can you can make it happen. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I think it's really cool that I've been able to build, you know, two different teams and create, you know, jobs for people even all over the world. And um, I'm just really proud of even the teams that I built. I just, I really, I love who I work with and... I don't know. I've, I've had a great ride so far. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and what you're up to. Um, I hope that people that are hearing this are able to take away some conclusions. And I think, you know, what's interesting to me is like you, uh, particularly in relation to the domestic violence, Mm -hmm. you had a, an external visceral experience that was as emblematic as it gets of Mm -hmm. like the human struggle and, and overcoming. And obviously Mm -hmm entrepreneurship and our work in general can involve some of that, but very few people go through something that is that, yeah. that palpable and, and obvious. That's beautiful. And I'm grateful that you're willing to share about that. Yeah. No, thanks for having me. I really had a good time. My pleasure. Yeah. Until next time. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.